ride with me in my foul life. And we're live. Is this the first time you've done a live podcast with me since Argentina? Can you take the gum out, dude? I can't keep watching. You look like a horse chewing. No, hay. it's going to stack. Please take it out. <laughs> Really? <laughs> That's what she said to you. <laughs> We're going there already. Good night. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, George Thompson, product development, Vanilla USA, just said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, You're not going to take it out? No. Is it that nicotine gum? It is. You still have to be on that? I don't have to, but I, I like it. Really? Yeah. Is it a big problem for you? Well, it's just when, like, if you listen to any of the great disc jockeys of their time, they would all, it's always a, a no-no to chew gum on are, the radio. Are, are any of them here now? No, but, like, when you're listening to radio, you don't want to hear ice cubes being, do you agree? Like, you guys are in media. Like, you don't want to, you don't want that, do you, when you're, you're not trying to listen? It. You're not going to hear it. Could get a little obnoxious. Colton, don't be afraid to say something. You're not going to hear it. <laughs> How about this? Oh, how's that? Does that help too? In fact, I'll put a fresh piece in for you. How about that? All right. Well, you guys are listening to the. I wish it was late, great George Thompson, but it's <laughs> George Thompson. Week's not over. Week's not over. The great George Thompson of Benelli USA. We have David. We have Colton. We have a Benelli Riders Camp going on in Arkansas. We were. I guess we were geared towards hunting ducks in the flooded timber on the Grand Prairie of Arkansas, south of Stuttgart. My good friend Brandon Adams, his brother Brian, Joel Wicker, Marty Hesch, Christian Curtis and Eric Larsgaard from Bandit are down here, Denny Reed from Camo Space. A lot of cool people have been in camp. Our master chef and camp cook, Billy Bogey. But we were uh, focused on the 28-gauge Super Black Eagle Three, right, George? That's what the task that you poised me with was find a hunt for you really i think it was detailed as flooded timber right that's what you wanted yeah you know i think the super black eagle 328 gauge is perfectly suited for timber hunting flooded timber hunting and uh you know i wanted to get some some industry folks down here to put it through its paces and and you know see how it performs well let's specifically talk about that real quick um, it's hard for me to do podcasts around writers because you guys are such wordsmiths. So, like, my vocabulary is all messed up. But when when you saw, was this your first hunt with it in close quarters like that for mallard ducks? Uh, no, no, it was not the not personally my first. Right, I did some testing in twenty and with the twenty eight gauge prior to this. But this is the first like media event like that we're um, you know filming or or, or you know going to get some editorial out of it um, directly. So. I, I mean, I've shot the 28 gauge uh, in about every situation that you can find in product testing to, to make sure it was dialed in and just right. But now that uh, it launched, uh, you know, 11 months ago and they're starting to get out in the market, we want to get some press on it. We want to get people talking about it. And and uh, flooded timber is really the ideal usage of the 28, in my opinion. So, Colton, do you think that we're, we're headed towards a – where the 12 gauge is going to become extinct, like the 10, the 16. Are we are we headed there in a way to where and – I, and I think that there's some different things that go into this, I guess. There is ammo out there that performs better than we've ever seen before Correct. with tungsten and business-based stuff. Um, is it affordable for some, I guess? That's the question. Is like if you're going to buy a 28 gauge, 
you can buy regular steel. We saw it perform with just regular Black Cloud, not even the TSS, right. um, in the last couple of days. But do you feel like that were the days of the 12 gauge are numbered? I wouldn't say that the days of the 12 gauge are numbered. I don't think, I mean, that it will ever go away. But we're definitely seeing a transition to uh, a lot more people shooting those sub gauges, and I think that people are drawn to them for multiple reasons. Uh, one, recoil is minimal. They're just fun to shoot. Those little guns are just flat fun to shoot. And I think the you hit the nail on the head when you, you talked about the ammunition options that are available now. You know, the days of shooting just a flat steel load, it, those, those days are going. And even the steel loads nowadays are 10 times more deadly than older loads. You know, we were, we were shooting the uh, Heavy Shot Heavy 12 uh, at the Mallard just a couple days ago in the timber. It was crushing those ducks. It uh, was. It was crushing. I mean, like it, 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 it was flat, impressive, out of a 28 gauge. And but it, like you said, I mean, we were uh, shooting Black Cloud too, and it was doing phenomenal, killing them dead. So I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of things that have led to uh, people leaning towards those sub gauge shotguns. Let me ask George this, and then I want to ask Dave uh, a question about his experience with the 28 gauge for the first time. Um, You've been in the gun industry a long time. This is your 18th year with Benelli USA, correct? Yeah, with Benelli, yeah. And you've been in guns longer than that. Oh, yeah. By the sound of your voice. <laughs> um, do we give the end consumer a misconception that these small gauge guns, because of the advancement in ammunition and the technology and innovation and the design and engineering in these guns, the machining, everything that Benelli's done is amazing. Is there a misconception or... or are we leading them in a wrong direction that, hey, it's cool to go out and shoot a Canada, a 14 or 12 pound Canada goose with a smaller gauge? Are we, are we being compassionate to the animals that we're pursuing by creating this, this mindset or ideology that, hey, you can go kill a turkey with a 410 TSS now? Is a turkey meant to be killed with a 410? Is a Canada goose meant to be killed with a 28 gauge? And then there's a lot of guys and even duck clubs that I've seen, George, that are that. And I know that Benelli doesn't currently make a 410. Some of the other companies and brands in your lineup do. But there's duck clubs that are going to 410s. A lot of it has to do with the percussion mm -hmm. and not educating a bunch of ducks and scaring the, you know, the flocks around the, the, the neighboring ponds or whatever. But are we given a wrong ideology, in your opinion, that it's OK to shoot the biggest of birds with these smaller gauges because of the advancement in technology? I certainly hope not. I mean, from, from my perspective, you know, going back to the question you asked Colton a minute ago, I don't think the 12 gauge is going anywhere. Um, you know, I, I think there's, it's about picking the right tool for the job. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons that we're down here in flooded timber using the 28, because I think it's the right tool for this job, right? If you're, um, you know, the, as a hunter, it's your responsibility to, to have some idea of what you're doing, right? To know, uh, what range you might be shooting the birds, what kind of birds you're going to be shooting, picking the right ammunition. And, and you know, last thing we want to do is send people out in the field and cripple a bunch of birds, right? That's not what anybody wants to have happen. Um, so, you know, your, your, your point is valid as that, is that there is some level of concern about maybe inexperienced hunters, you know, picking the wrong tool for the job. You know, and I would tell those folks, you know, if, if you're getting into duck hunting for the first time, 28 gauge is not a substitute for a 12 gauge right or even a 20 gauge right i mean 12 gauge is still the most versatile gauge that you can use for any kind of hunting you can do anything with it right 
Um, a 28 gauge is just another tool in the in the battle chest for whatever situation you may find yourself in. Um, and you can, I mean, there is a time and a place to, to, that you can ethically shoot a Canada goose with a 28 gauge or a snow goose or big ducks or whatever it is, but you got to pick that right time and place. It's not for every hunt. I think it comes back to the hunters that we as hunters have to know the limitations of the weapons that Absolutely. we're using. Yeah. What about the vice versa of that, David? Do you think that after you see, after you witness what these ducks happen to these ducks with these 28 gauges, mm-hmm. is it, what's the best word, unethical, I guess, for lack of better terms, to use a 12 gauge in that situation? I don't think it's unethical. I mean, I, I really don't believe in, in overkill on an animal, right? I mean, uh, if, if we were shooting them this hard with the 28s and they were dropping belly up, a 12 is going to do about the same thing. I don't think that's unethical at all. So you're saying that even though the BBs are bigger, there's less of them in a 12-gauge, mm. um, which I want to get into that. Like, why does the 28-gauge perform the way that it does? So we give the listener an idea of, like, it's not just about the gun. It's, a, there, it's, it's the entire shooting system when it comes down to it. But you're saying that there's no such thing as overkill in a hole like that. Do you guys agree with that, that if you have a 12-gauge and you're shooting 3-inch twos in there and those ducks are at the same distance, which is it fair to say they were anywhere from 10 to 20 yards at the most? Maybe yeah. a couple 25-yard shots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there is the 12 gauge too much for that? You're saying no. What do you think, George? No, I I, I kind of agree with David. I don't, I don't know that there is such a thing as overkill. I mean, again, it's our responsibility to kill these animals ethically. Um, you don't want them wounded. You don't want them crippled. You want it quick. Um, and uh, assuming, of course, that you're using an appropriate shot, shot size and you're not, you know, demolishing your meat. Um, you want to kill them as quick as you can. So, no, I mean, you, you know, again, it's all about knowing your knowing your tools, knowing your gun, knowing your ammo, uh, knowing the distances in which you should shoot these birds. And, you know, if, if you get a, a, a mallard at seven yards and you shoot it with a 12-gauge three-and-a-half-inch number two, that's probably not the most ethical thing to do. Um, you know, so it's you got to pick your shots and, 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 you know, know your tools. Yeah. And, and their limitations. Yeah, exactly. And the limitations. Are we in a position right now to where um, the shooting system as a whole is – can the customer be confident in the availability? You've been around the block a few times. You, you've you been in camps. You've tested these guns. You've tested the ammo. You guys have both written about the ammo. You know the manufacturers. You know the representation of these manufacturers. Are we confident that if we buy a 28 gauge that we're going to have an easy time getting ammunition for it to go duck hunting, to go dove hunting? Is is that are we at that at that place in our in our in our ability to purchase right now in America that the 28 gauge is readily available as far as you can get the gun even though they're tough to get cuz they're so popular. But can we get the ammo for them? Are we at that point yet? When you or, say when you say that point, do you mean like the the, the demand out in the market and the supply in the market? The supply, because the right? answer is no, we're not at that point yet. I mean, the last. Okay, so what 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 would be the right way to phrase that question? Like, it, can, can the consumer be confident that he or she goes and buys one of these Super Black Eagle three twenty eight gauges that they're going to be like, oh yeah, I can just run down to my local no. retailer and get some ammo? No, they can't be confident. But you can't be confident in with anything, any gauge right or now. caliber right now. A thirty out six, a three oh eight, even a twelve gauge particular load that you want. They're just, you know, the last few years, the supply has been, I shouldn't say that, it's not a supply issue. The demand has been so high 
that you you know people struggle to find ammo and have to get it months in advance and, and plan ahead so no we're not at that point now you know the market's correcting and in a couple of years we will be at that point i mean these these manufacturers whether it's uh federal or or uh or boss or heavy shot or or Fiocchi. i mean they're all making more ammo than they've ever made before it's just that the demand has outpaced the supply but that's starting to reset itself and and i think in time we will get to that position yeah you know it, it's been my understanding that actually 28 gauge has been a little bit easier to find than some of the 12 gauge loads because there's not so many people using it, right? Um, whereas everybody shoots 12 gauge, right? A lot of people shoot 12 gauge. So, um, but I mean, that's gonna vary a lot, you know, depending on where you're at in the US, you know, um, how many stores you have access to. I mean, there's some places where you got one place you can buy ammo within like a hundred miles and they may or may not have 28 gauge, yeah. right? Um, you know, and then there's some places where you got a, a Bass Pro, a Cabela's and a and a shields and a sportsman's all within 50 miles of you right i mean so i think ammunition companies are kind of taking note though the rise of the popularity of the 28 gauge i mean just in the last year or two we've seen several launches from varying ammo companies that are launching more options for 28 gauge users they are and so i mean i think that kind of comes back that well nothing's a guarantee right that you can just go down to your local sporting goods store and find your favorite box of 28 gauge shells uh you know these, these companies are taking notice, and they are making more options readily available. Has there has 28-gauge ever been readily available in America? No. no. That, that Even, I started thinking about that. I just don't think it's ever really had a <clears throat> demand. Especially on the waterfowl side. No, no. I mean, the, all the waterfowl loads are pretty new in the yeah. last couple of years. Yeah. But even going back to, like, you know, sporting clay 28-gauge lead loads, I mean, it was hit or miss whether your local dealer carried that ammo sure. or not. Um, that's why I mean about, you know, how many access points you have to ammunition. I mean, you could always order it, I guess. But, uh, you, you know, there, there's, you know, 28 gauge and 16 gauge were always difficult to find, regardless of what kind of load you wanted. Sure. I mean, Colton's exactly right. In the last couple of years, all of the big players uh, in ammunition production have, have come out with a variety of 28 gauge loads, um, whether they're steel or bismuth or TSS or even some new uh, – lead loads for upland hunting um it's getting more there's more options out there whether you'll be able to find it or not that's kind of a different story but in time i think it'll be a lot more available all right so let's transition into this weapon this gun this 28 gauge that it really did impress me and i've been impressed with the 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 ethos and the 28 gauge offerings from benelli for the last five six seven seasons i've you know, John shot Hagerman Wings Farm in Hagerman, Idaho. Amazing results we've seen out there. We've done several 28-gauge hunts there. Um, Rocky Merlot has, you know, been shooting a 28-gauge a bunch <laughs> these days. In a nutshell, three minutes, let's say, George Thompson, can you give us a rundown of the popularity of the Super Black Eagle 3 12-gauges? There's no secret to that. But until this year... There was never a – their 20-gauge was in the M2, you know, left and right-handed. The 28-gauge was in the Ethos format and really an upland model in the wood grains. Um, stainless steel, different finishes in the blued. Um, but now we have the Super Black Eagle 3 in all three now. We have the 12, the 20, and the 28. Mm-hmm. In a three-minute nutshell synopsis of this 28-gauge, the from the rib to the action to the inertia system to the comfort tech – what is it the exact same design as the SB312 gauge that's currently on the market? Explain to the listening audience what this 28 gauge is. I mean, that's super easy. Um, it's exactly the same as the 12 inch, uh, three and a half inch gun, 
just scaled down to the a 12 gauge. gauge side. The 12 gauge. Yeah, it's exactly the, the 28 gauge is exactly the same as the 12 gauge three and a half, just scaled down to a three inch 28 gauge size. That it's exactly the same gun. Um, the only real technical difference is the 28s use a carbon fiber rib versus a steel rib on the 12 gauges. And that's about reducing the weight, right? Because, you know, uh, an inertia gun, which all Benelli's are, um, there's a, a balance that you have to find between the weight of the gun and the energy of the shell. And 28 gauges are, are pretty low energy, so you have to make the gun as light as you possibly can for it to cycle reliably. Um, so we made the rib out of carbon fiber. We did pull one uh, shell out of the magazine tube. So the 28 gauge you don't need a plug for because the most uh, you can put in it is two in the in the tube and one in the chamber. Um, the 12 gauge and 20 gauge guns, you know, you can't put three in the tube on those. But those things were done just to reduce the weight of the gun a little bit to improve the reliability. Other than that, it's, I mean, if you take the parts out and you compare them, they're exactly the same, just smaller. So when I take that, that 28 gauge apart, it's going to have the exact same pieces as my 12 gauge? <clears throat> smaller, but yes. They're, I mean, dimensionally, they're all going to be scaled down, but the look of them is going to be exactly the same. Yeah. So the 12, the 20, and the 28, a guy or girl goes and buys all three of them, they can take them apart, and they're going to be able to assemble them the exact same way, just smaller. They're going to have to be a little bit more Yeah, precise. Let's be clear. The parts are not interchangeable. Some, some well, of the yeah, parts are that. interchangeable, um, but you know they're exactly the same. How you take them apart, how you put them together, how the gun works, it's exactly the same, yeah. So give me a, a rundown real quick so we can remind the audience. Talk about a little bit about the inertia, the comfort tech, the trigger. Um, talk about the action a little bit and what, you know, what they can, you know, be assured of by purchasing the, the SBE3. Well, you know, all Benelli's are inertia-operated gun, which we believe is the most reliable operating system for a semi-automatic shotgun. And, and in a nutshell, how it works is it uses the energy of the shell to cycle the action, right? It doesn't funnel any gases or residues back into it, which make it run cleaner, right? Which is why Benelli's are so reliable. One of the reasons, right? You're not getting all that unburnt powder and residues back in the action. Um, and the way that it works is there's a small spring inside the bolt body. As the gun, as you shoot the gun and it recoils, the entire gun moves rearward and that bolt uh, stays relatively stationary and compresses that spring. Recoil subsides, the spring springs, and it cycles the action, right? Um, so it's a super simple uh, system. There's less moving parts on it than, than any other guns out there. And we've been doing this since uh, 1967. And, uh, you know, the inertia system is what's developed the Benelli's reputation for reliability because it's just an amazing system. Comfort Tech on this gun is our is our third iteration of Comfort Tech. And, and really those different generations or iterations, if you will, it's just about optimizing the system. The, the basic mechanics of it haven't changed any. We, we put uh, chevrons into the stock. We basically split the stock to make it into a giant recoil pad. Um, so the entire stock flexes and absorbs that recoil. And we started that in 04 on Super Black Eagle 2s. Uh, we did a second version on the Vinci's and Super Vinci's back in 09. And then this version on the Super Black Eagle 3 is, is uh, the third version. And, and again, it's just the size and, and position of those chevrons of how we split the stock of just optimizing to reduce recoil a little bit more each time. Um, we also put that uh, soft comb piece on these guns. We call it comb tech. Um, that's just, an, again, it, it's an optimization or improvement on previous versions of it. Um, the trigger on this gun is no different than any other uh, Benelli semi-auto. Uh, it's a great trigger. It's, you know, around three pounds break. 
Um, but what's really cool about the Super Black Eagle threes, all of them, is the ergonomics, right? It's about how the gun fits you. Um, they're very lightweight. All Benelli's are very lightweight. But we really paid a lot of attention to um, improving the ergonomics, the feel of the forend, the, the the angle of the pistol grip, and and how your, you know what your natural position of your finger is um, as it lays on the trigger. Um, and then we add all the adjustability in for drop and cast and and you can change the uh, pads out for different lengths of pulls and and um, it's just it's just a great package i mean the the super black eagle 2 was a fantastic gun and the super black eagle 3 is just it's just all kinds of improvements and refinements upon that um, it's got the the easy locking bolt in it um, which you know uh, ensures that that bolt locks up every single time you know in case you you, you grab it on a tree branch or you you bump it against the duck blind. Um, it's got an easy uh, loading system, which is just a two-piece shell latch. It makes the shells fall into the uh, magazine like butter. You know, it's just it's just a great package all around. Does that answer all the questions that we would have? <laughs> I don't want to miss anything on this gun. That was a really good explanation. Yeah, that was in-depth. Dave, when you get a, a, a project like this, or what would this be called what do you, when you're an outdoor rider what is this called when you get this just an assignment assignment, an assignment. Yeah. so an ass, that's what the that's the word i was looking for um how do you prepare for it do you wing it do you study up on the gun before you get here do you do some reading and and kind of like a i guess a forensic audit on the gun so you're kind of comfortable or you introduce yourself to it what before you get here how do you prepare prepare like a trip and and then kind of end your statement or your answer by did this place surprise you? Like when you pull up to Prairie Wings and you know you're going to Arkansas and then you kind of get to a camp like this, you know, what are the feelings? What are the, what are kind of the, the, the things going through your head? You know, does the whole game plan go out the window when you get here and you just kind of start from scratch? Right. Yeah. So I try to, I, I read up a little bit on the gun and the location before I, you know, before I show up, obviously, but I actually try not to go too in depth because I don't want to form too many preconceived notions about what I'm shooting before I actually shoot it. Right. Like I kind of want to get there. I want to hear a little bit about it from somebody who really knows the gun inside and out. And then I want to see for myself how it performs in the field without hearing, you know, 18 other people's opinions on how it's going to shoot. Um, I do read up a little bit more on, on kind of the places I'm going. Um, but I will say the flooded timber has has absolutely surprised me since I've been here. Uh, I, I did not expect it to be anything like it was. Um, going out in the boats early morning um, in kind of the gloomy conditions and showing up at the hole, setting up and having them cup in the way they did was just absolutely incredible. Um, heart was absolutely pounding that first day. <laughs> they uh, Did it surprise you at all? You're, you, is it fair to say that you're more versed in big game you prefer big game you still love waterfowl hunting but like I've, I've heard you say that you've guided for many years you've seen a lot of big elk and mule deer go down yes sir um a lot of people would hear you know would probably say in america that a big 180 inch mule deer or 350 inch elk or bigger is the ultimate right well to me mallard ducks are does this does this tickle your fancy um, it, when you when you're used to seeing all those big you know that big bone all the time that big horn on antler all yeah, the time absolutely I mean I love to hunt I don't care what weapon I don't care what species I I'm a hunter and I I just love every aspect of it and you know being able to come and experience something like this that is so different than what we have at home I mean I hunt a lot of ducks and geese at home you know but we're hunting you know small canals or we're hunting like out on the Great Salt Lake we don't have the opportunity to hunt flooded timber at home and the way that ducks work into flooded timber versus how they come into like a hot pot after, you know, the, the great salt lakes frozen, 
com- completely different experience um, and one that I've wanted to do my entire life. I mean, gr- growing up, I mean, I've watched shows on the Outdoor Channel or whatever it may be about people coming and hunting the flooded timber of Arkansas. That is a duck hunting destination. And so it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, and just just like you know, David said, it's exceeded my expectations. I mean, watching those ducks work through that timber, that's pretty special. You, you made a statement um, after one of those first groups came in, and you said, these trees are special. I agree 100%. There's, there's something very special about this place. I like that saying. I just, I've, I've heard it so many times about how I started coming here in 2000, so this is my 22nd year hunting. Well, I did take off the pandemic year, so 20th year. George, when you hear somebody like Colton and David talk like that, and you, you know, you line these media events up these i want the audience to understand that a company like benelli will go to writers and media like this to come out photography write on it and then they get these articles put together and they might submit one to this publication it might show up here in this one it might be online it'll get it be in print it's a big part of the hunting industry rider hunts have been going on i mean i've been doing them since again like 1999 2000 um I know that you have a happy-go-lucky attitude. Hey, you can't control Mother Nature. It is what it is. But when you're down here to, to get a job done, let's say that first day doesn't happen. Let's say that they don't use terms like it exceeded all expectations. Is there pressure on you? Is there pressure on me? Is Should there be pressure? Or what if that first day didn't happen and Mother Nature comes in with fog and rain and it's not ideal for flooded timber? Is it a waste of money? How, how do you get your bang for the buck when you're going up against Mother Nature? You know, every hunting experience, whether you crush birds or you don't see a bird, um, there's a story there, right? Um, and, in, I mean, Chad, you and I have talked about this a lot of times, right? The hunting is, is, is good, and, and that's, you know, the reason that we do it. But a lot of times the best experiences come from, you know, sitting sitting here in the camp and, and talking about war stories or talking about past experiences and are cutting up out there in between, you know, birds work. And I mean, there's always a story that to be had, um, you know, and if every story was about smashing a limit of, of ducks every single day, people would get really tired of reading yeah. that really quick. Yeah. Um so, you know, I, I, we, we pick, we pair up with great writers, you know, great publications. And, uh, you know, we don't really try to set any expectations for what the article should be or needs to be or any of that. It's up to these guys to, to, to write that story and craft the experience however they see fit. You know, I just want, you know, we just want the gun, the, the Benelli brand to be associated with the story in some way. It's, it, you know, wh- whether we kill the ducks or not doesn't really matter. And I mean, look, it's great, right? It's always a good bonus, but you know, you can't, you can't, you can't, every story can't be, oh, the Benelli 28 gauge is the most amazing gun ever. And we smashed a limit of ducks with it. That doesn't, (laughs) what does that really tell anybody? Right. I mean, so, so it's about the culture, the location, it's about the the experience, Bill, the the recipes and Billy's absolutely about all of it. It's about all of it. Um, I've been on all kinds of rider hunts, like I aforementioned, but I've seen guys, you know, and women taking notes. Yep. Songwriters always talk about they'll be laying in bed and get an idea, and they got to get their iPhone out now. They got to write that idea; they're going to forget. Mm-hmm. Then they go back and finish it. Maybe a year later, whatever it is. I didn't see you guys taking any notes. Are you guys more of a visualization writer to where you're going to be able to go back to your typewriter <laughs> <laughs> and and recount that morning from the waiter room and the mud room to 
how do you remember all of that to make sure that you get or do you come back here at night and then go like something i don't know about yep. i've i've got a running notes in my in my iphone uh you know and, and when something that's like hey i need to remember that i just pull it out plug it in real fast and then i go back and same thing you know while i'm here you're talking about like how are you going to craft the story you know there's so many different stories that can be told and they're not all going to get told unfortunately um there's just not enough you know publications i guess to to go around but when i'm you know trying you know here and whatever you know, you you pointed out several very good uh potential articles that could come of this and i was over there making notes of that and i do that throughout the hunt like oh this could make a good article oh this could make a good article and then i'll go back to my editor and be like here's five or six different ideas of ways that we could go with this article what do you think our readers would be most interested in um you know and, and then run with it from there and it's not we're, we're here to, to to experience this hunt we're not here just to kill ducks killing ducks was awesome but we've also had two 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 more days where we've got skunked <laughs> you know and 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 it, it hasn't degraded this experience at all i mean th- this whole place you know you you asked david's thoughts you know what he thought when he pulled in when i pulled into this camp I mean, you could just sense the nostalgia when you pull up to a place like this. And it's, it's, it's one of them places that it's like, if these walls could talk, the stories they could tell, oh, man. give me the goosebumps. What about seeing Bo Jackson in that picture over there? I mean, can you imagine yeah, you know, Bo was here? And, yeah. and, and so that's what Miranda I'm saying. Like, Lambert. The, I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, they, if these walls could talk, the stories they could tell would be pretty special. That's a cool storyline right there. Yeah. Prairie Wings is special in a lot of ways because – this these trees are part of the Biomeda, which is the most popular public land duck hunting in the country. Yep. I mean, this is where the famous boat races take place. This is where the four o'clock boat ramp fights right. take place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is like this is the Biomeda, and this is the private woods of it. So that's a cool part of the Biomeda in Arkansas is that. But when you get to come to a camp that you you literally don't leave here you know like, like a lot of camps you gotta get in your truck in the morning and drive somewhere then you get to a you might get to a connex box and i've done it in arkansas a lot and then the, in the connex box are all the four-wheelers yep. then you get in all the utvs yep. and then you got to go another four miles and then you get to the boat and then you're in a canal and then you know there's all kinds of different scenarios here this one is so self-contained yeah and that video that we took that i posted last night that freaking i just i got ridiculed on <laughs> uh, you know i made a statement you know about the boat i was driving good looking boat uh, yeah <laughs> Like when I saw that scene coming down that canal, I've done that at least 20 times where I've had somebody take that shot of Billy. I know what Billy's doing in here. I know what this place smells like inside Mm -hmm. compared to the mudroom, compared to the duck water, compared to the wet dog. All these different senses are going through my mind. And when I see that brown wood of the siding of Prairie Wings Lodge, I think the same thing. Like, are you serious? We just, we didn't even come a hundred yards. It felt like we were right here. Yeah. But that's kind of really, and there's other places like it. Don't get me wrong. Right. But this place is neat. Yeah. Like it is neat. And you, there's, there's so much that has happened in these woods just within, you know, half mile from here. And that's what I love about it is that it's not, that there is the chase still. You're hunting the same ducks. It's not like ducks are high fence. It's right. not like they get tamed. It's just a different experience that when you bring a rider camp in, you get to concentrate more on the recipes, the food, the stories, what George said, the camaraderie. And then you still get to experience every attribute of the hunt, but it's just walk out the door, mudroom, walk out the door, boat, get out the boat. You know, you're up against a tree and you're kicking water. And it's just like, can you imagine like 
being here 60 days and being able to do that every day of the duck season and saying like, this is my home for the next two months. That's what I often think about. That's what Prairie Wings means to me because when I see Billy Bogey, it's hugs and it's like, man, I I love being back here. And when you're not here, you, you, you miss it. You take it for granted because you're like so used to, to the experience. And when it, when it gets taken away from you, like it did, you know, during COVID, it was kind of like, dang it. I missed that place. It's a good reset though. Makes you appreciate things that much more. It's a great way to put it. Like it, it made like I've been in such a good mood here because it, like this place brings it out of me. Plus, I got to be on my A game, which brings up my next question, David. Oh boy! Oh, yeah. um, oh boy! Oh, no. The best athletes in the world. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going there, but that's another. Me and George yep. are going to do another podcast on the greatest athletes in the world and what sports they play. When you think about. Both of you guys have made excuses to stay longer. Yeah. <laughs> that means that's special. That this place is special. Like you don't want to leave a place like this, which we've just been talking about the last six, seven minutes, but do you guys get over it quick? Is it on to the next one kind of attitude? Not for me. And it, it certainly won't be for, for this one. Um, hunting ducks in this flooded timber you you talk about the different senses that you kind of key in on here at prairie wings hunting ducks in this flooded timber is so much more visceral than any kind of waterfowling experience i've had before because you're out there you're standing by the tree you're in the water and when they come down the way you can hear their their wings echo as they're cupping in you hear the wingtips scraping off the branches of the trees it just it sticks in your mind man it really sticks. what about in that mind. one that landed by how far was he you think oh god he couldn't have been seven feet away like seven I mean, feet was, less than three yards. That's yeah. what, a little over two yards. A little over two. Yeah. Yards. He was right yeah. there. Oh yeah, I, I, I watched it on the the video again last night. I mean, he was at my was at my knees. <laughs> it's pretty neat. <laughs> it was wild. I've never had one that close. What do you guys? It, George has given me, you know what, before four letter word that you're not supposed to say say on radio. Um, do you get frustrated with the guide or? the guy calling the shots when you just let a couple of them go and watch them in their majesty like that. Cause there was several times during the hunt where we could have knocked out, you know, but we kill, we kill a five man limit amount, oh, yeah, yeah. which is awesome. You know, there's five of us kill five man limit, but there was times when I'm like, Oh God, they're gotta be so bad. At me. <laughs> and it's, like this, it's like this over, it's not overbearing, but it's this pressure that goes on me. Like, man, you don't want to let somebody down, but I hope that people understand that. Like I get stuck in the moment of like, they just do it. Like that's what, that's what I duck hunt for is to see that. And right. you don't need to kill every one of them. Bingo. Yeah. So, like, when I see that, I just want I want people to understand, like, I mean, people say, you should be calling the shot way sooner. You should be doing this way sooner. And it's like everybody can, you know, hunt their own way as long yeah. as it's ethical and legal. Right. But I get caught in a lot of times where I'm just like, man, I should have called that shot, but I couldn't. Like, my tongue got <laughs> stuck, you know. You just get stuck, right? But I think that comes back to the hunt is so much more than just killing the bird. If we were there just to kill... I mean, as soon as them birds hit that 20-yard wall, way to hammer them. Yeah. You know, but we're there to experience it and watch those birds do what birds do. And that's cool. That's a great point. And I want to ask George this because you've, you've been a lot of places. I'm going to guess that you've hunted ducks and geese, Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina. Have you been to Peru? No. Have you been to Chile? No, no, so, I haven't. I'm, so you've I'm been not, to three South American companies. You've been to Africa. You've been to a couple Canadian provinces. Let's say you've hunted eight to nine countries for waterfowl. You've seen a lot of birds hit the deck. You've even hunted in Alaska, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not that Alaska's its own country, but it's pretty freaking close to being one. It's awesome. Do you – I want to make sure that I ask this right. As far as 
what Colton was just touching on. Does it frustrate you that you're not killing them all? Do you do you <laughs> do, do you kind of get do you get are you or are you past that in your hunting career to where you know the hashtag piles make smiles yeah. kind of attitude to where one duck does it right it brings you back like when Tiger Woods said I could have the worst round of my life and I hit a great chip shot on 18 and it brings me back to the course the next day it just takes a little bit to bring you back and is that kind of the way that your duck hunting career is gone yeah well you know I don't want people to get the the wrong perception here i am not the world's most experienced duck hunter by any means i've, I've had a lot of great uh, opportunities and i'm very thankful for that but there's guys that would make me look like a novice any day of the week you're one of them um but uh yeah i'm way past that point of, of making the piles and we've talked about this before right kind of the life cycle of a hunter and uh <clears throat> you know as you as you evolve in in your hunting uh, uh persona if you will um, there's always for everybody, there's the, I want to make big piles time period. Right. But, um, you know, where you really start to enjoy it is when you get past that and it's about the experience and the people and the environment. And, uh, you know, I say it all the time when we talk like this, that's what it's all about for me. I mean, we could go out here for six days and not shoot a duck and I'd still have a great time, um, because of the environment and just, just doing it right. Just being in the woods with the animals and, and, uh, hanging out with good folks and, and uh, enjoying time back at the camp, it's 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 way more about that than it is about making a pile for me. But you know, again, if, if that's if that's what the listener you know is is into now, good, go make a pile, enjoy it, right? Do it legally, do it ethically, but knock your socks off, shoot them all. Um, uh, you know, enjoy it though, because you know our time here is limited, and you want to be able to look back and, and remember all these experiences that you, that you've been able to have and the people and. In the places that you've been it's not always about making a pile you know you'll get there everybody gets there talk to me you guys stay in pretty good shape you guys i like how you looked at them for that (laughs) (laughs) you're a soccer player you probably watch your caloric intake quite a bit except during hunting season (laughs) now how hard is it here with this man cooking talk to me about billy bogey and we could say it till we're blue in the face that we're going non-starch, but you see that biscuit and you're like, yeah. I'm all in. Right? Oh, yeah. you're like, <laughs> I, like I always tell people like, if I didn't, I work out like a madman in the off season yep. to balance out what I do during the season. <laughs> yep. Might have a Jack Daniels or two. I'm and I, and I said this at least, at least 20 times on this podcast and other podcasts, radio shows. I work out for Billy Bogey's meals i really truly do i'm not going to come to arkansas and say i'm not eating carbs because i know what i'm getting ready to be faced with i've hurt that man's feelings before by saying i don't want the grits today fried bologna he goes he like look at me like what come like like, you don't want to hurt billy like billy works his butt off yeah yeah. so talk to me a little bit about that part of it of like you're you're you go. You might be considered a road warrior. You go into Casey's in Kansas. You're in Wichita, and you're meeting everybody there for a lesser can of goose hunt. And you're like, "Well, they got zone bars. They got a banana over here." And the first thing you do is go for the breakfast pizza. It's like, <laughs> it's like your whole your whole your whole mental toughness goes out the freaking window with duck hunting. You make these excuses like, oh, "I'll burn it off in the marsh," which my my quads were burned a little bit yeah, yesterday at the end of that walk. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, Talk to me a little bit. Is everybody the same, or am I too critical of myself? Because I'm a weak ass when it comes to the diet during duck season. I'm terrible at it. You're spot on. And and I think I just kind of I, I kind of keep have the same mindset as you. Is I work out pretty pretty religiously throughout the off season, 
And then when hunting, the hunting season comes around, there's so much going on that I, I'm not home to go to a gym, right? Yeah. You know, and, and so, and we have so many opportunities to eat Mr. Billy's food or, you know, these other things. And I've always said life's too short to not eat the cookie. You know, it's like <laughs> what, what, you know, when you have the opportunity to, to immerse yourself in something like this and Mr. Billy just adds to it and the, the meals he prepares, you're, you're crazy not to engorge yourself a little bit. Would you guys but, think that that will make the article? Oh, absolutely. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah, you. No, you're, uh, I don't even remember. I think I lost my train of thought. Oh, I, I will say, you know, we're, we're in middle of December now. I'm ready to get back on a – yeah, a, a, a <laughs> oh, ritual yeah. of working out. Like my body's like, okay, yeah. you're about hit <laughs> your max point, I feel right? <laughs> yeah, because I, I do. I mean, I, I eat healthy. I work out throughout the year, and then kind of goes out the window during the fall. And I'm ready to get back in that. But I had to do it today. I did do. I, I did jumping jacks and pushups today, just because I, I felt, man, I just, you just, you feel guilty. You're yeah, just like, oh, yeah. It's like it's never ending. Yep. Like I just came from Missouri. Yeah. And then I come here, and it's like. Well, I can't say no this time. Right. And then now I find out I'm probably going back to Missouri when I was going to go home and see my trainer. So I got to call my trainer and be like, I'm never going to guess what happened. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's all about happened. balance, though, right? Everything in life's about balance. You it know, is. And, and, and the off-season balances out our, indul- talk to our me, indulgences. Talk to me, David, about that smothered deer steak last night, though. Was, was I off when I said it's the best venison you'll ever eat? Oh, you weren't at all. That was fantastic. That Isn't was it incredible? Fantastic. Yep. The peppers in there the oh my like the flavor he does in there like you you could you know if you figured out that recipe and i don't know if you guys know that recipe but there's some different steps in it like this has got to taste good the way that you cook this but i'm telling you i've done that recipe before and i don't come his gravy the way that he the way that he spices he just got like this what is that like tlc i guess goes into his recipes yeah he wants to please He's so connected to this earth right here, this area. He guided here for 25, 30 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That guy's seen a lot of ducks go down here. Oh, oh I believe And now that. he just wants to see everybody that comes through that door. He wants to talk. He wants to tell stories. He wants to reminisce. When and he wants to cook. When he starts talking, I start listening. Yeah. Because the stories that he's told just in the couple of days I've been here, I'm like, again, if these walls could talk, I mean, Billy's a part of that. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and hearing his stories have been very, very neat. I think... Let me ask you guys this real quick about the after hunt. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, the other day I was talking about, let's get a drone up in the air. I, I'm visualizing the episode. Like I want to show the difference between this type of sky and lighting compared to what it's going to be starting tomorrow. Like I'm, I'm thinking like that. And then we're like, well, we got to get to the spec hunt, which was awesome. <laughs> um, Don't go there. But I want to talk about the photo part of it. You guys are media, you're writers. Photos play a role in your articles, I'm sure. Yep. Um, I guess we'll start with George. Do you care to set up that photo the way we did? Does it matter that we take the time to get the hooks in the tree, different levels? It almost looks like one of those walls that you're getting ready to climb, you know, those, you know like an exercise machine, like a Versa climber. Like we were, Like we were really into that photo we were mm-hmm. put that we couldn't even reach the hooks by the yeah. time we tried to go take them out <laughs> yeah but it looks cool the end product is a photo that you want to put on canvas yep. or put on your in a frame in your office or your home office your wall or your living room whatever does that matter to you or we, we just talked 10 minutes ago about how there's different maturity levels of a hunting career pictures like i and i mean this like if you guys came to my house i made a commitment a year ago maybe 15 months ago that i'm taking every photo off my phone and then I went to my brother's phone and then my mom's phone and 
my whole mom, our, our house almost burned down when I was a kid. And the first thing my mom, the only thing my mom saved besides us was her photo albums and every frame off the wall. Yep. It's almost like the days of going into somebody's house that are in our age group, and I'm older than you guys, not older than him. Um, <laughs> remember those picture frames that had yep. like 15 or 20 pictures in yeah, each frame? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love going to my mom's house and going, hey, this is my Uncle Cecil. This is, this is Hinky Summit. We're killing deer here in northern Nevada. That doesn't happen because everybody holds up these phones now. Yep. Yeah. And then nobody takes the time to file them, so it takes way too long to scroll. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then by the time that you get to it, the people that you're trying to show it to have lost interest. Yep. But these photo albums, I, I made a commitment. I got photo albums this high. I'm collecting them now. I'm putting all these printed photos in actual leather-bound photo albums. That's cool. And it's That's such great. a different experience to go there and flip through a photo album than it is to look at a picture on a phone or a, or a, or a laptop screen. Yeah. So my question, George, is do you get, ah, let's just get out of here and get to Billy's breakfast, or do you want to take the time to set up a nice photo for memories? You know, I'm not the world's most creative guy when it comes to, to photos and, and, and or, or stories, for that matter. Um, but, uh, yeah, I see a lot of value in it. Um, you know, I think, I think my uh, – uh, idea of a good photo is probably a lot different than somebody like you or maybe these guys idea of a good photo um you know I, I, the staging is important i mean I, look i see the value of it from a marketing perspective and from an editorial standpoint from a tv standpoint like photos got to be legit right it's got to be right it's got to be well thought through and for me personally i'm more content just snapping the photo and, and getting the memory and and doesn't have to be the world's greatest photo but I don't know, man. I'm probably not the right one to ask that question to. Um, I see the value in it. Do I take that level of effort for my personal photos? No, <laughs> no, I don't. I uh, um, and you know, I, I really. It's kind of funny what you're saying about putting all these pictures into photo albums, because just this past week, actually, I was, I uh, was was moving where I store all my photos, my digital photos, and I've got like, I don't know if this is a lot by your standards, but I've got like 40 gigs of photos over the last you know 17 years of benelli can you put that um, into a number for me i don't even know how many Twenty thousand photos is that gosh no it's a lot more than more. that yeah it's oh, a wow. lot more That's than that um but it, it got to a point where it was taking up too much space on my machine so i got to get them off of there and put them somewhere and uh but i'm looking through them and it's like you forget about that stuff because yeah. they're buried on your computer or they're buried on your exactly. phone so that's a really cool idea. I, 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 you know, it might be worth investing in my own time to do something like that because I do want to remember those experiences and the pictures always help make it um, bring it top of mind, right? Bring well, you remember the, the Christmas? It, it, it's a perfect time of year to talk about the scene of Chevy Chase wrapping the <laughs> scarf around his head and he's got the gloves on and he's going into the treasure chest in the attic, remember? Yeah. And Ray Charles starts singing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I grew up. That was that was my childhood was was my dad we would would wear us before my dad passed away he would wear us out because he wanted to take a picture of everything with us yep and i'm like why did we rush him you know like we were giving my dad so much shit that like yeah let's go and he was just doing what he knew would be important right. two three decades later yeah yep. you lose your dad like i did when i'm 32 he was 54 years old and you're like i don't have enough pictures with him yep you know what I mean? I'm not trying to be like a yeah. pity party. I'm no, saying no. like, like we we don't think of it that way. We're kind of like, oh, let's get back. We got to get get on to the next one. That's why I asked you guys that question ten minutes ago. Like, is it just like, hey, we're on to the next one? 
I want to get to the point to where at 48 years old, I'm like, man, I want to sink my fingernails and toenails into this dirt at Prairie Wings and remember this, every, every part that went down. And the photography is important to me because I think that that's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. I think that if you print them out and you have those photo albums, I'm going to keep my mom and dad's. You know, Hopefully my mom never dies and it's a long time until she does. But I want those photo albums because there's nothing like that to me to go back and find a 1988 photo of my first pronghorn. Yep. Right. And because I go, oh, my God, I forgot about that story. I remember it now vividly. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember my dad picking me up and running 227 yards, running, sprinting. Wow. And my dad was mm-hmm. short, so there's a lot of steps to cover that much ground. <laughs> and he's carrying his 12-year-old son like nothing because he's so excited, yeah. Yeah. crying. Oh, my God. Oh. And, like, you think, forget about it until you see that picture again. Right, yeah. So, like, when I started printing out all those photos, and my brothers were like, oh, my God, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Like in, in my photo stacks, my albums are like this tall now. Like yeah. uh, it's getting to the point to where you're like, well, where do I put all these? <laughs> you got to figure out like, well, now I got to build your a own library. Or I yeah. Build a library or a, a bunch of bookshelves. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I become, I think at this point in my hunting or outdoor career, you guys, I think one of you said the word before the nostalgia, or you use that word when you pulled up to this place. I don't remember what you said when you pulled up to Prairie Wings, but one of you said that yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia at this place. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. Just that picture right there. Yep. Tom Rashashin, who works for us, took that picture probably 2015, mm-hmm. 16. Look at that picture. He caught the spark. That's the fire pit that we should be out there at night. It's been raining every night. But that's what this place looks like at night. Yeah. Nobody yeah. in the world knows that that's going on in BFE, Arkansas, without being able to see a photo like that. Yep. Yep. You cannot generate the feelings that come out of this property or this acreage of American soil without seeing what this place really has to offer. Yeah. And that's freaking incredible right there. Agreed. So that's like when we got that, we got that printed for, for Brandon and Brian and everybody. And Frank Tom did that because he was like, Oh my God, he was so proud of that picture. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I look at it every time I come here and I remember like how special this place is. And then I also, I also remember like how freaking fast time really does go. Mm-hmm. So we'll end this podcast episode by talking about, we've made commitments to stay in touch. We've made commitments to do another hunting camp without George. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, George is always – George, we've been to a lot of camps together. Yeah. I think that was the last time I was here, by the way. That picture? Yeah, 2015. There's been a lot of good nights in this in this part of America right here. Um, how fast does the 72 hours go? You guys have, I've already said, again, during this podcast, that you guys have both made excuses to stay longer, yeah. Yeah. which I love, but time does fly. Yep. You remember when you were kids and your mom and dad would be like, time flies. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Now we're that person that's saying, man, yep. my daughter's already 12. Mm-hmm. And then I see somebody like these guys sitting over here, and Eric just told me his son's going to college next year. I'm like, Jesus, he just had him. Yeah. Right? Christian's kids have already gradu- graduated college. Like, it's crazy to know, like, how fast – it really, it, obviously, it's not going any faster now mm-hmm. than it did 30 years ago. I, I think that the, the, the sun still travels <laughs> at the same speed. Um, I think that the clock still is honest with the way that it travels around the, the, the 24 hours in a day. But it really is like you got here and you're like, this is going to be awesome. And now we're going to say bye tomorrow. Yeah. That's a crazy thought. Like, do you stay in touch? Do we get to do this again? Or is it truly on to the next one? And that's the problem with being, it's not a problem, but when you do this and you travel from camp to camp, like we all do, mm-hmm. 
you got to you got to stop and shake yourself and and realize how special these last 72 hours were that it's going to be etched in our minds for a long time and without trying to get too corny it's almost like without the pictures do we remember it and thank god the articles are going to come out right. you guys are going to write articles we're going to be able to open wildfowl or du or gun dog or whatever magazines these are coming out in you know and it's going to be like man that was a that was worth every bit of the effort that it took. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Preserves the memory. Preserves the memory. And hunting is really about the nostalgia of it. It's about the reminiscing part of it, the camaraderie. That's why waterfowl hunting is so special to the 1.8 or 2.1 million people that, that participate in it, mm-hmm. which is probably the smallest population of hunters with 14 or 15 million deer hunters and 4.5 million turkey hunters. And There's even more coyote hunters than there are duck hunters, <laughs> which that's a whole other podcast topic of why more people don't do it. Yeah. But, man, this freaking, this is unbelievable lifestyle to be able to preserve memories of, of duck hunting the way that we got to experience it in the last 72 hours. Yeah. I pinch myself regularly, make sure that I'm not dreaming some of this stuff up. Do you ever think, like, you live a multimillionaire's life on a $60,000 a year salary? Oh, I tell myself that all the time. Constantly. <laughs> Just being a hunter makes you feel like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll oh, yeah. go broke in a heartbeat doing this. Yeah, oh, Chasing yeah. ducks, like, you're like, call dang it. <laughs> call dang it. Call dang it. <laughs> got, got me again. There's no reason I should even be thinking about driving nine hours north to Missouri again right now. Huh? There's no reason. There's just like, that's a crazy thought. But we had this saying in our company a while back. It's like, we merely exist in a duck's world. Like, they could, I think about a duck every day of the year in one aspect or another. And I'm just, there's no reason that I should even be thinking about driving back to Missouri right now. And I'm like, should I? <laughs> I think I should. <laughs> it's crazy. So what do you guys take out of this? What's the last thing? Like, you guys are leaving tomorrow. We had one good hunt. We had one good hunt. So far. So far. Well, he doesn't get to hunt tomorrow. Are we going to send him pictures and brag because the sun's out tomorrow? Yes, I hope you do. Yes, I hope you do. Absolutely. The 28 gauges? <laughs> yeah. I can tell you kind of my, my lasting impression is just that I have a lot to be grateful for, and this experience is one of them. I like it. David, which I'm very jealous of your hair. Well, thank you. You're <laughs> welcome. Um, I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd echo Colton's words, but I think my lasting impression, what was really on my mind the entire time I was in the trees, was how long the ducks have been flying down here and how long people have been doing exactly what we're doing right here. And it feels odd in a good way to suddenly be kind of a part of this larger thing that's been happening among duck hunters coming to this mecca of waterfowling for god knows how many years christian can you help answer that how long has flooded timber hunting been happening in arkansas do you know forever max prairie wings has been in stuttgart since 1944 wow what was the first year of the world duck calling do you know was it before or after that Shortly after. So, I mean, that, that's a great – I love that. That's a great way to think about it. Yeah. We're a small component of it. And I often think of how special these woods are. And then we, on our drive to Stuttgart yesterday, there's a lot of woods around. There's you know, not as many as there used to be. Right. But this 1936. is – 1936. 1936. Wow. Wow. And if you know if they established the contest then, it was – going on here for a lot longer before that mm-hmm. i mean could you imagine the days of the market hunters oh my god with the punt guns out here yeah <laughs> good lord can you imagine what was going on no there's some <laughs> there's some accounts that you can go and read of, of 
we'll talk about that off mic. It's <laughs> of what has happened in the woods of Arkansas. But this, I've always said, people ask me all the time on interviews or rider hunts or whatever. They're like, Chad, where's your favorite place to hunt? And do, I've had, like, I've been in Washington on the Columbia River and had mallards, like, literally hitting me in the face, like, 500 at a time in a cornfield. Yeah. I've been on the Boise River. I mean, on the uh, Boise River and the Snake River in Idaho. I've been on the Yellowstone River in Montana and had unreal things. I've been on the Missouri River in Bismarck, North Dakota, and had unreal things happen. I could keep going. I was just in New York for the molt migrator season of Canada geese in September, mm. and it blew my mind. I'm in New York doing this. Like, people would go, you're not in New York. That's not New York. Where you're at. It was New York. It was unreal. But this place, I always say Stuttgart, Arkansas, and it's, it's because of this right here. Places like Prairie Wings, places like Max Prairie Wings. The nostalgia, the culture, and I and I tell people like, you have a Sacramento airport with the Butte Sink and the Rice Country and the Sacramento Delta of California, and I bet you there's ten people that might fly in there a year to hunt ducks and geese. That's an exaggeration. There's right. probably more. You go here, the private airport here in Stuttgart in Little Rock, the international airport in Little Rock. This is a destination like Colton mm-hmm. alluded to earlier. People come here. It's probably the only place in America that people consistently come to from all over the world. Yeah. To chase ducks and geese. It used to be where you're from. The Eastern Shore used to have a pretty good demographic of not, of tourists that traveled there. But now you can only kill one Canada goose a day. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, you know, go there for that. Yeah. Unless you're bodybooting or doing something else at that area of the Chesapeake Bay or the Eastern Shore has to offer. But Stuttgart, right here where mm-hmm. we're at, the Grand Prairie of Arkansas, the river systems that come down here that join into the Mississippi, the black, the cash, the, 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 the white. Uh, if you learn about how they finger down and how they, the outlets and the tributaries and the timber and the rice and how everything came together, it's worth looking into. It's worth listening to somebody that knows what they're talking about, a lot more educated on the subject matter than I am. This place is the most special place in the world for waterfowl hunting. I don't know if I'm right on that or if that's an opinion, but like I said before, my opinions are what? Truth. Facts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I think that Stuttgart, I, it's always my answer. It's called the duck hunting capital of the world this for is the a best, reason. This is the coolest place on earth for duck hunting. The culture, mm-hmm. the cafes. You go anywhere around here. I don't care if you're in DeWitt or Brinkby or, or Humphrey or wherever. When you go there in the morning after a hunt, camo jackets everywhere, boots tight. You go into Max. You heard people yesterday talking about how people wear their waders in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? People wear waders into a store. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're where they, I, I've been in there so many times where guys walk in with their lanyards on, and they got their duck calls tucked into their pocket on their flannel, just waiting to take them out and blow them. In. <laughs> just, waiting, just waiting to show off. Blow them. It's the coolest. You don't see that. You can go to Boise and hunt and kill a limited mallards, and it's seven mallards a day out there in the Pacific Flyway, mm-hmm. and it will never hold a flame to this place. And I'm not saying that, please don't you know think that I'm saying Boise. I love Idaho, but there's just something about this part of the world. And what you said is how we're going to end this. What, what did you say? A reset. It's a reset. It's a reset. Not being here for two years and being able to come back here has been a reset. Like, it's a special place. And those ducks two days ago proved to us that this is why you come to Arkansas. Yep. It's special. Chad Belding, the Fowl Podcast, George, David, Colton. It's been a great trip. The Benelli Super Black Eagle 3 28-gauge available right now at your local gun shop, your retailer. What are some of the gun shops we can find these at right now? Are there uh, Max Prairie Wings is oh, a yeah. huge Benelli dealer? Yeah, I mean, you can go onto our website, BenelliUSA.com, and type in your zip code and get all the dealers uh, around you. Um, but there's a Benelli dealer pretty much everywhere. If they're hunting ducks, there's a Benelli dealer there. Simply perfect. Thank you all for listening. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life.
It's in my heart, it's in my soul I'm right at heart and never quit, yeah It's just the rising of the sun It's the fire in the air Anticipation rising my veins A day like this must be red My foul life is in full swing Until the 